when we talk about the law of attraction, it says you can't manifest from a place of lack. And so you can only manifest what you already have, which is like, how the freak do you do that, right? It's such a balancing act because you have to get to a place where you feel content and happy and accepting and leave room for desire. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Denise Duffield-Thomas, author of Get Rich, Lucky Bee, that's censored for you, and Chillpreneur. She is the money mentor for a new wave of online entrepreneurs who want to make money and change the world. Denise helps women charge premium prices, woo-woo, release their money fears, and create first-class lives. Today, she's going to share how we can open ourselves up to wealth and start living a life of abundance without burnout. As always, stick around to the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Denise, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 107 to grab your free Discover Your Passion Project workbook and check out the complete show notes. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Denise, welcome to the Smart Money Mama show. Hey, so nice to talk to you. I just heard some babies in the background. I'm like, how perfect is that? (laughs) Smart mummies. We can multitask. (laughs) We can. It is 8 p.m. here and they should 100% be sleeping, but yet they're not. That's the way it goes. Today is actually the day we're recording is actually my birthday. And so they had cake at dinner, which is why they're not sleeping. Oh, of course. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you for doing this call on your birthday. Oh, we're excited. And actually, my first question for you is about birthdays, because in your book, Get Rich, Lucky Bee, you talk about how something that we learn from birthday wishes when we're really young kids. Can you tell people what that is? It's so damaging to so many people. Okay, so the context is that when I had babies, I suddenly realized how many things we are told as kids to do with money. And one of the things I was watching Cinderella with my daughter, who was maybe four or five at the time, and the very first scene of Cinderella is all the mice bring her a birthday cake because it's her birthday. And she blows out the candles and they say, what'd you wish for, Cinderella? She goes, oh, I can't tell you my wish. It will come true. In that moment, I went, oh my God, I have been told that my whole life at my own birthday parties and other birthday parties. And I wonder if it contributes to women not wanting to talk about money and not sharing our money goals and not talking about goals in general, because I'd been a coach for so long and I'd say to people, well, what do you want to earn this year? Or what are your goals? And they just wouldn't be able to tell me. And I thought, I wonder if that just hearing that over and over again, that talking about your dreams, acknowledging your dreams somehow jinxes them or it's not a really healthy thing to tell kids. Like I'll say to our kids at our own birthday parties, I'll go, what did you wish for? And they'll go, no, mom. And I go, "Uh uh-uh, in our family, we do talk about our dreams. (laughs) So yeah, I, I think that's just such a great example of something little that we do without question that actually does impact our money. Absolutely. And we keep those goals locked up inside. We keep them quiet and hidden. And I actually think that definitely when it comes to money mindset, this impacts women a lot. But we actually talk about getting couples on the same page with money. And oftentimes we recommend this dream date where people go and talk about what you want your life to look like. And so many moms come back to us and they say, my male partner has a really hard time dreaming. And I think that's the same narrative to write, like if we've locked up what we truly want so deeply. And so much of your work, Denise, is about manifesting. And I think that this is a topic that there's a lot of misinformation about. So do you want to tell us what manifesting is and maybe where some people get it wrong? Oh, for sure. So I think manifesting itself came into the mainstream when like Oprah talked about The Secret, the book and the movie The Secret. And that was my first interaction with it. I was like, oh my God, you can just think about things and they magically appear. And I think that's where a lot of us came into it. And then my philosophy on manifesting is going back to what is the meaning of the word? And it just means to make real. To manifest something just means to make it appear, make it real in the real world. And so I always look at even the law of attraction. It's about attention. It's about what can you do to make this show up in the real world. 
And then, and yet, there's still something there about that 20% where the synchronicities and the magic do start to happen, but they don't happen by sitting and thinking about it. And I break it down into five pretty practical steps where it's like, you have to co-create with the universe. You have to put yourself in that slipstream of success. And then it seems like you're just a lucky person, but you have manifested it. You have made it real into the real world. You have taken something from thought, from imagination and created it. And so sometimes people will say to me, but that's just doing stuff. And I'm like, well, yeah, you do have to do stuff. I'll I'll tell you, Denise, when Oprah talked about the secret, my brother was about 16 years old and he was completely convinced that he could like get the right roulette numbers to show up on casino games if he just thought hard enough about it. And I was like, I don't think that's exactly how this works. But yeah, you have to think the right thing and then go out and do the work. And so you have a really interesting story about when you started to work on your money mindset and really manifesting things that you wanted in your life. Can you share with people a little bit about what that journey was like for you? Maybe some of the things that happened as you started to open yourself up? Sure. So I have been obsessed with personal development for a long, long time since I was a teen, but I always thought it was separate to money for some reason. I thought it was like, oh, personal development's about being a good person, being deserving, being pure of thought, just becoming like a nice, good person for some reason. And then I thought, no, money is this separate track where it's like you have to do things you don't want and it's like you can't combine the two. You can't be a good person and make money or you can't help people and make money. I just thought, nope, they're totally separate things. And you can't live your values and make money, right? That is something we hear all the time. Absolutely. And so I'd been reading about things like forgiveness for a long time. And so I was practicing forgiveness and I was practicing affirmations and practicing all these things. And then realizing I still had these massive blocks just to receiving money and asking for a pay increase or just even just making money out of something that I loved. So I just started bringing in some of those concepts, weaving them together and just thought, well, what would happen if you did forgiveness work around your money experiences or forgiving money as a concept or forgiving institutions around money? And so just bringing some of those things in and crazy things started happening to me. I I started winning all this stuff and it was a really interesting experience. One, because it was all stuff still unrelated to money. I was getting it for free, but it was like the universe was going, we want you to experience these things. And so I wanted to write a book and I won a book writing scholarship for this book course. I wanted to be a life coach and I won a scholarship. I didn't even know I had entered into this scholarship. And then I won a travel competition that took me all around the world And it showed me what it would be like to live a life of freedom, adventure, and abundance, which is my personal goal, my personal values. But I had to go another layer deeper to that and go, okay, it's all right to win things and get things for free, but I actually want to experience what it's like to make my own money and spend my own money in a way that I want to spend it, not just be given things for free. And I think it's so interesting you said about your brother because I hear from a lot of people who go, I want to use the law of attraction to win the lottery. And it's that whole thing about just wanting to be saved or wanting to for all to come instead of realizing that sometimes success is incremental, but it's incremental because it's acclimatizing yourself to more money or more pleasure or living a life that other people aren't living. It takes acclimatization to feel worthy of making money sometimes. And you absolutely can't out-earn a lot of those old money fears that we have from childhood. It's why you see so many lottery winners end up broke again and bankrupt, is that you push the money right back away if you're not yet comfortable with holding and managing that wealth. You did talk about in the book, and we talked about this a lot in the podcast, about really airing out your money stories. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was that you said the first time you sat down to do this exercise, you wrote like five pages of memories. Can you tell me how you got into that zone to pull those memories up? Because sometimes we hear from people who know the importance, but they have a really hard time identifying meaningful money memories. They tell me like, I don't really think I had any meaningful money memories as a kid, which of course they did, but how do we start to peel back and unveil those things? Well, it's an ongoing process, okay? So I've been running my money boot camps since 2012 and there are people who've been in there for 
the whole time, nine years, some of them have been in there a couple of years. And each month I find one little topic that we're going to talk about just to see if there are any new layers that we can uncover around it. And quite often at the start of the call, people are like, I might skip this call because I don't think I have anything around that topic. And then we talk for 90 minutes and people just uncover just new layers. And I'm still uncovering new layers. And I really doubt you're going to get everything out in a two-hour session where you sit and write down all your money memories because memory doesn't work like that. It's sparked off by different things. And so I'll give you an example. The last call we did was about weddings. And I said, come, I don't care if you've never been married or you don't think you have anything about weddings, just come and we'll have a discussion about it. And it was probably one of our most emotional calls we ever did because we looked at it from, okay, what stories do you have about your own parents' wedding or other weddings that you have been to? People are going, oh my God, I got married and I knew that he wasn't the one or she wasn't the one or I have stories about what wedding and commitment mean. And and so we just find one little thing and then we go off into all these tangents. The call before was about allowance and about pocket money. And by the end of the call, I thought it was going to be a five-minute bit. I had all this other stuff I wanted to talk about. And I said, guys, we could do a three-day conference on allowance and money and what it brought up because we looked at it from, did you get it? Did you not get it? How much did you get? Did it change over time? How much did you get compared to siblings or other family members or other friends or other people at school? Were there circumstances where you were shamed for what you spent it on or didn't spend it on? Did anyone steal it from you? Was there issues that came up around? And it was really, really deep. And so that's why this work isn't just a tick box one and done thing. It's being in that mindset of like, I've got so much to learn and it's also okay for me to earn money where I'm at. And that's the hard thing, right? Because it's like, we all think we're so flawed and there's so many things wrong with us. And it's like, I'm okay. I'm actually really normal once you see that everyone's got their own stuff. Yeah. I'm going to receive where I'm at and it's going to be an ongoing conversation forever. And this is such a good sign, right, that money is so intricately tied in everything that we do. And you brought up weddings and I immediately went off in this spider web of all the different ways weddings trigger money things for us. Like, how much do we spend? I think I've heard people ask me a thousand times, how much do I spend on a wedding gift? People judging people who had big weddings or two small weddings. And like you said, just being with their own partner, a lot of that often ends up being tied back to wanting to be financially stable, wanting to reach certain milestones at a certain point in your life. And so do you recommend if you're starting this, do you pick on a certain topic to try to pull memories from, or do you try to pull the early memories first? Like how do you start identifying what your money blocks might be? So I'm reading a book at the moment about writing a memoir. And it's a very similar thing because if you just said, oh, sit down and write about your life, it's hard to pull all the things out. And so she talks about follow the heat. She's like, it's okay just to go, oh, that's an interesting thing. I'll follow that thread for a while. And so you could start with the real basics for money memories. You could go, all right, oh God, we could go in so many tangents. <laughs> what were the circumstances around your birth? This was a whole thing as well. You know, what birth order are you? What does that bring up around stuff? You could go chronologically through your life and think of big milestones that were important to your family. You can go and have a look at ex-partners, ex-bosses, look at who were the entrepreneurs in your family. What did your parents, how did they talk about rich people, about poor people? How did they talk about how other people spent their money? And if you go for just the like big life things, what were birthdays like? What were what was Christmas? What was Hanukkah as a kid? What was your gift giving as a kid? What was disappointments you had around birthdays? And so if you just go for the big life milestones, there's so much there. (laughs) And then you find the little nuances as you go. Like Christmas, we could talk about Christmas for three days. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) We could talk about your birth order for three days. (laughs) And birthday parties, right? Did you get to have the fancy party or did you have a home party? There's so many different topics. And I do want to talk about once we have the memories, how to get to forgiveness. But first, let's go back. Are you thinking about writing a memoir? Oh, I am writing a memoir, yes. And it's really hard, but I'm going for that 
what I usually do, I'll read a little bit of the book and I'll go, oh, I remember that thing. And I'll sit and write 500 words. And so it's the same with uncovering your money mindset stuff. It's okay to get out in the world and just be curious and just go, oh, well, what great example of tea. Like I had a whole conversation today about tea because when I was first working on my money mindset stuff, I used to reuse my tea bags all the time. And it was a big deal for me to go, I'm worth a fresh tea bag every time. And then recently, because I drink out of very big mugs, recently I said, oh, I'm actually going to use two tea bags. And it brought up new stuff for me. And so I think that's the follow the heat look for those little things because my husband went and my mum, they both went, two tea bags, like, who do you think you are? The queen? <laughs> the queen, no. The queen probably reuses her tea bags. She's very frugal apparently. <laughs> but can you see it's just that I think the common thread is curiosity, curiosity about how you act the way you act. And as a kid, that was the biggest thing is when you started seeing other people's families and how they did things and how they celebrated things. And I honestly think most of our money stuff comes from contrast, seeing the contrast. Absolutely. So yeah, that's what I'm doing with my memoir. I was just following the heat of different things. That's fantastic. So even just my joking comment here, like, what are you, the queen? Let's talk a little bit about the diva word or the bossy word that so often gets put on women and then makes us feel like, we can't demand what we need or what we're worth. How does that come to be? Yeah, this is so the crux of the work, right, is that so often we have to heal some of those parts of ourselves. So a lot of girls who were assertive, obviously we're told they were bossy, and so there's a part of unlearning that when you work for yourself. I would even say other personalities, it's very similar. So, yeah, the diva one can be, I hear it from some people who they really want to shine in their business. They want to do public speaking and they want to get in publications and they want to have a bit more of a higher profile. And they've got to unlearn stuff around what happened to them when they outshone other people, either in their family or at school. And a friend of mine, she has a very monotone voice. And we talked about this diva thing. And she said, in high school, I got the lead in the school musical. And all of my friends turned against me and I didn't have, I didn't really have friends for the rest of high school. So she dialed that down and made herself, she literally modulated her personality to be like, I'm just going to dial it down. And so even just understanding that and following that curiosity, now she does speak differently. She's starting to dress differently because she's learned that it's okay to heal that and to come out of it. Yeah, I think the diva thing, the bossy thing, it's usually come from one or two circumstances, or it could have come from something you heard again and again from your family. And the healing of it can come from lots of different ways as well. Lots of, I believe in all modalities work it's some way to chip away at that. But I think it's really fun to look at how you were naturally at like age seven. Mm -hmm. Go back to that and before you knew it was wrong or before you were told it was wrong. And so many people really come back to those interests and that personality. I think it's cool. I found it so fascinating in Get Rich Lucky B when you were talking about stars and like what Britney Spears and some of these pop culture stars demanded about their shows. And then you said, and I'm actually going to read a line from your book, which is, what if instead of being demanding, they simply have great boundaries in place to ensure consistent standards and just ask for what they want? It's all highlighted in my book here, a major wake up call moment for me, because we even talk about the podcast, right? The things we want to put around telling people to make sure you have a mic, to make sure you have headphones, like making sure that we give our guests the rules. And even now, I have some discomfort about that. If having too many standards to put on guests or whatever, so some of them... Oh, I loved that, by the way. I loved it. <laughs> we've dialed back over time. When I read that line, I was like, okay, I used to be a hockey player and played college hockey. And there was a whole ritual to getting ready for a game to make sure you showed up well every time. And I'm like, okay, but why is the podcast different? Why wouldn't I just want to have standards so we could show up at equal quality every single time? And so I just wanted to share that. And I'm curious, are there things in your business, in your life that you've had to upgrade and hold to those standards? Yes. Yeah, so 
When Chillpreneur came out, I did a 14-city book tour around Australia. Oh, my gosh. And the way I did it was I'd go away like Monday to Thursday, do two cities in that time, and then I'd be home for the weekend. And I did that for six weeks or something. And I got really annoyed at some of the conversations I had to have with my team because I would be like, okay, guys, I need an aisle seat because I get really claustrophobic about sitting in a window. I always want to be in the front one or two rows where possible. And I want you to order me a meal because just in case I didn't get a chance to do it. And then there were a few little things like that too, where I was like, I've got ADHD, so I'm not going to remember where I am. So I was like, when I get off the plane, I just want to look in my calendar and I want to see the address of the hotel. Like I want the flight details in my calendar in real time. And then here's where you're going. And then the next day, here's what time the makeup artist is coming with her phone number. And then here's who you're meeting, where. And it took so long. And it was really simple, but I felt like I had to have these conversations again and again. So I would get to the airport and I'd be like middle seat, back of the plane. And I was like feeling like such a diva, but I was like, I don't want to have this conversation again and again. I'm being really clear what I need. And when I say team, it was my husband who was doing most of the stuff. So I felt I I would not yell at a team member, but I could yell at my husband. I'd be like, (laughs) I am the golden goose here. Like I'm the one out on the road doing all these things. I don't want to have to like Google in my Gmail who I'm meeting. I just want it all there because it was the same thing again and again. It was like, okay, cool. You don't need to ask me every time about the makeup artist. You should send them. This is like a picture of what Denise looks like. Here's what she wants. It'd be so much easier the next time I do a book tour because I'd just be like, here's the thing. (laughs) But advocating for that, I felt like such, like such a bee. I really did because it felt like I was demanding for the sake of demanding instead of going, I have to sit and talk for two hours to people, which takes a lot of energy and I need to show up and be at my best. I don't need to be expending energy on which seat I'm going to be on in the plane. I just want to get on and and get off. And that was only for 14 events. And when I look at people who do hundreds of podcasts or you're on a 18-month tour, you don't want to have those conversations again and again and again with people because it just it it wastes time and it's really inefficient. So my philosophy in my business is what do we eliminate first? Nobody needs to be doing this. I hate creating systems for something that nobody needs to do. And then what can we automate so we never have to have this ongoing conversation? I hate back and forths about scheduling. Just send me your online calendar. (laughs) Like That's a very simple automation that so many people are still unwilling to pay for in it. There's even free options. Now you can use Calendly completely free. Exactly. So it's always eliminate first, then automate. And then I look at, see what we can batch. So I've just recorded my podcast. So I did 28 episodes in the studio. And then I've put that over to my team and I'm like, now you've got these, you can get them all transcribed at once. You can get them all pre-scheduled at once. You can create all the artwork at once, not week by week by week. And if we need to hire someone for, they could probably do that in a week and do six months worth of stuff. So I'm always like batch and outsource. And only then do I hire somebody because I'm just trying to avoid human error as much as possible. And I hate just having the uh, conversation over and over again. I find it so frustrating. But there's little things that I know. So for example, I struggle to take vitamins. I forget to take my vitamins. So I signed up for this vitamin delivery company and they they do little sachets of your daily vitamins, but I still forget to take them. So I've been avoiding, because I have a daily housekeeper, I've been avoiding asking her, because she makes me a cup of tea every morning anyway, she makes me breakfast, all she has to do is get the sachet out and put it next to my tea, and I'll remember to take them. But there's something that I feel I'm still reluctant to ask her. Isn't that funny? That is funny. Hopefully after this interview, maybe you'll ask her. I will, because it's like, what a diva. But you can, yeah, you can just put those sachets wherever the mugs are and she can just pull it out at the same time as the mug. So easy. (laughs) Okay, there are two questions from this. 
The first is if you are feeling like a diva trying to just stick to that thing on your book tour, and a narrative I hear over and over is, I just gave up. It's easier to just do it myself. And people don't want to stick to asking for what they need because they feel uncomfortable. And so how did you make sure you kept going back to your team member, your husband, in this case, repeating what you needed him to do? Yeah, God. Okay, I got to this point a couple of years ago. I was actually on a different book tour. And I went, oh my God, I am trying to be the show pony and the plow horse at the same time. Mm. They're two different breeds of horses, right? Like the plow horse is a working horse and is out in the day and can be. And then I was like, well, I'll clean myself up and now I'll be the show pony. And it sounds like I'm being elitist here and it's not. It's just, it's really hard to do both roles. And I think when my husband came into the company too, I was trying to really justify my work because he didn't realize that an hour of my time talking to you is not worth an hour of admin. It's not the same. And I actually need prep time and recovery time from being on stage. And that's part of it as well. I also don't think he saw that holding space for people because it's unquantifiable often, that takes a lot of energy, thinking about your community and worrying about your community and holding space for them and role modeling things like that's real work. And so I had to just get really clear on that of like, wow, my energy that I put into my business is so valuable, even though it's unquantifiable. And I was a dancer growing up, but when you're in non-professional theater, you do have to pitch in and do everything. And so I felt like, oh, you can't just be the diva and turn up and do the thing. You also have to help like paint the backdrop and sew the costumes and help everyone else because I didn't realize that takes energy to show up and be the face of a business. Absolutely. And are you comfortable talking at all about ADHD and how that's impacted your money journey and your business journey? Because that's another thing that's come up before is people reach out and say, I can't get a handle on my money. I can't get ahead. I have ADHD or ADD. And they're feeling like because their brains work differently, they just aren't ever going to be able to make this work. So what's your experience, Ben? Absolutely. So I'm quite new to this only because I was in the process of getting my son diagnosed that I went oh my God, (laughs) I have this and I have my whole life because I hadn't realized how many layers of things that I have put into place to mitigate some of this. So for example, in my book, Chillpreneur, I talk about this concept of having a keyless life, making things automated and making things work. But the, the truth is I used to lose my keys like every day, which is a real classic ADHD thing. And so now I've just eliminated that problem. I don't have to think about my keys because I don't have any and I haven't had any for like 15 years. But that doesn't mean I don't have ADHD just because that's not a problem (laughs) anymore. So I was trying to think of this. I know a lot of people resist doing things like batching and pre-scheduling content because they feel like it's cheating or they feel like it's not authentic. But If I really, truly honored my ADHD, you would get 20 posts in a day and then nothing for three weeks. And I just think that doesn't serve anybody. Who does that serve? And so the way I do it is I do create 20 posts in a day, but then I put them in my scheduler. And so they'll be, they'll drip out consistently over the next whatever. And so that honors that side of me that is in feast or famine around content creation, but it doesn't overwhelm my audience in my real-time processing. So I think sometimes flipping it around to what serves my audience and the energy that I put into that content creation is real and it transmutes into whenever somebody receives it. It's none of our business when someone consumes that or when they need it, but they still feel the same energy as when I created it. That's another thing that is a little nuance that I've discovered recently about the ADHDs. Absolutely. And I want to dive into how this ADHD comes to how you manage your wealth. But before we do that, let's take a quick pause to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. 
When you're having a new baby, there's so much joy and excitement. You can almost feel those little baby cuddles and can't help cooing over every adorable outfit you see. Yet there are so many new and slightly scary things to consider, especially when it comes to money. What things do we need to buy and what can we skip? How much will the delivery cost? How do we think about childcare? Oh my gosh, where will all this extra money come from? And do I need life insurance? And what am I going to do about work? It's enough to make you want to curl up in a ball and hope all these questions just magically go away. But I don't want you to hide. What if, instead, I could hold your hand through all these questions and help you make the best financial decisions for your growing family? We've created the New Mama Money Plan to be that guide, to turn what feels like a mystery into an action plan that you can carry out with confidence. For just $27, the New Mama Money Plan helps you handle everything from reviewing your budget to creating the right estate plan. Instead of trying to fumble through it all on your own, let us lend a hand so you can get back to loving on your little one. Head to newmamamoneyplan.com to grab your planner today or purchase one as a special present for a friend. Congratulations, Mama. You're going to be an amazing parent. All right, Denise. So what about when it comes to managing the wealth that comes into your life? What systems do you have for, you know, do you budget? Do you, what systems do you use? Yeah. So again, what can we automate as much as possible? So automation of bills, I think is so important for anyone with ADHD, eliminating paperwork as much as possible. So getting online stuff, really utilizing the systems we have available to us. So if you've got an accounting software, making sure that those things are hooked up, there's no bottleneck with you. And that used to happen at my bookkeeper. Well, first of all, it took me ages to get a bookkeeper because I was like, I've got all these receipts shoved into boxes. Like, oh, they're going to see that. And this lady, she goes, if you just pack up all that and send it to me, that will be like Christmas to me because that is my joy is helping people with their messy systems. And so there was a lot of shame around some of my disorganization around money. So then I got my bookkeeper, but then she would send me a whole lot of queries because all the systems weren't hooked up. So I think it's so important to eliminate your inattention and your disorganization as the bottleneck and acknowledge that that will probably always be there. So what can you automate around it? So if it's automation of bills, automation of savings, yeah, making sure that things don't rely on you. And that ties into how difficult it is for female entrepreneurs to outsource in general. My background is in finance as a hedge fund manager, and it took me a really long time to hire an accountant and a bookkeeper for our business because I kept just being like, I should be able to do this. But I was actually creating this massive bottleneck because it's not what I was supposed to be doing. So I'd ignore it. And then exactly what you said, it started to get messy because I started to ignore it. And then I didn't want to hire someone because I was like, no, they think I know how to do this. So if I send them a mess, there's going to be like, why didn't you organize? So it took me forever. And I kept doing it myself for three years before I finally hired somebody. <laughs> and they love it. It's for them. They're just like... They're like Marie Kondo when she was like, I love mess. It's like, ah, oh, yes, the messier, the better. Now I'm going to make this all nice and clean <laughs> and all. They love it. They don't judge. They don't judge if you go to the right person. They're not going to judge you. So what advice do you have for knowing when you're ready to outsource and your business is just in your business or your general life, right? You mentioned you have a housekeeper as well. Yeah. So I think you start with the things that personally stress you out the most because there's no point in following a cookie cutter system of someone else because people often say to me, I can't believe you do all your own social media content. And I go, well, I actually really love doing that, but I hate doing laundry. Like laundry stresses me out. So it's more beneficial for me to outsource laundry than it is for me to outsource something in my business that I still enjoy. So I think it's where you feel the tension. And I, the very first thing I outsourced was email. Because I'm someone, I really feel the energy of requests. And so people would send me an email and they'd go, this link is broken or can you do this? Or can you give me advice on this thing that's not even my area of expertise? And I would feel the energy of it as if every email was like a little pebble that I had to carry around with a backpack. And there were often things that would really paralyze me to fix or change and so I knew that that was something I really had to outsource. So I hired someone for five hours a week and they didn't answer as me. They answered as my assistant. And we actually, for the first month, 
we did every email together. So we would both be in there. We'd be on screen share. We'd look at the email and I'd say, well, this is how I want you to answer it. I was such a control freak. I'd dictate the answer to them. And then after a while, it was like, oh, yeah, that email. Remember that response? We created a canned response. Oh, I remember that one. And so it got to a point where once a week she would have a meeting and she'd go, I don't know how to answer this one. And that just got less and less over time. And, and then eventually I moved into a, like a, I can't remember what we use now, one of those external customer service things. I can't remember. Zendesk or Groove. We use Groove. Yeah, exactly. One of those ones. But it just caused me so much stress. And I was like, I'm just going to eliminate that and let that go. And then bookkeeping is another stressor for people or meals where it was a big source of argument between me and my husband. And I just went, well, let's just pay someone to make food for us. Or it'd be like, well, I remember he'd come home from work when I was first starting out and he'd go, why wouldn't you put on a load of washing? (laughs) And I just went, I'm at work. It just didn't occur to me. And so that became enough of a source of argument that I was just like, well, why don't we just hire someone to do this? And so again, it's always eliminate the problem, not create systems of, well, let's do a roster for whose (laughs) job it's going to be. I was like, well, let's just eliminate that. But you have to start with where you're at. And I can tell you what's happening now is I'm starting to feel tension around the amount of ways that people can contact me. And I actually love getting DMs, but I feel bad that I'm not acknowledging every comment and responding to every comment. And so that's actually something I'm going to outsource at the moment is I have someone within my groups to make sure that no comment gets left behind, but I've still been doing it and and even my hubby. And we've gotten to a point of tension now where we can't do it anymore. And so that's a really clear sign, I think, that's something to outsource. Absolutely. And I'm impressed and maybe even the wrong word, shocked that you've gotten to the point of the size of your business where you're still responding to every comment. I'm sure that there's lots and lots of creators that would be like, oh my gosh, that's so much. I'm an empath. So I have to hold space for basically anyone who is anywhere who reaches out to us. And so social media comments do create a lot of stress for me because I feel like I've got to respond to them all and I do carry them around. And I imagine you feel somewhat similarly. So I'm glad you're going to get some help on that for sure. Yeah, because I hate that people feel unacknowledged. And I know when I comment on someone like Young House Love, for example, is a young couple and they renovate houses. And whenever I comment, it always gets a like. And I don't care if someone's doing that on their team. I see how that makes me feel. When I go, oh, wow, they've acknowledged that. And recently I start looking at the things and I see all these, oh God, I've got to go and and like them all. And I just thought, Someone's going to do that way more efficiently than me. But also things get missed. Someone will go, oh, well, can I have you on my podcast? And it just gets missed. And that's only on Instagram. You know, when I think, oh, God, there's people who message me on Pinterest or there's there's LinkedIn messages. (laughs) I'm like, oh, Oh, yeah. YouTube comments. Oh, yes. It's a lot. (laughs) Absolutely. And I know there's moms who are listening who are like, oh, my gosh, I would love to outsource laundry or cooking or all of these things but they're not there yet. And you mentioned starting from where you are. And I know in the book, we talked about upgrading your life. So can you explain what does it mean to slowly upgrade into a rich life? Yeah, and that's what you need to do for that acclimatization reasons. Because if you've never had team before, there are a lot of lessons around asking for what you want and creating creating work environments that thrive for everybody. And so I started with people coming to clean the house once every two weeks. And that taught me a lot around, it brought up a lot of stuff for me at first. People are going to think I'm so snobby and I had to ask for what I wanted and I had to get over like cleaning everything before people came. And then I just upgraded from there, as I said, with the things that stressed me out. And sometimes I do business stuff, sometimes I do house stuff to what's the next upgrade. And so it doesn't have to be big. I think if you have a business, look at what you need to sell to be able to pay for that because it's so much more efficient when if you're paying someone to help you around your house, they're so much more efficient than you would be time-wise. Like over Christmas, I was like, oh gosh, I better do some laundry because we gave our housekeeper paid time off over Christmas. And what I, I started to get in a real tiz about it because I was going, 
there's heaps of red stuff because it's Christmas. Do I need to do a separate red load or is this okay to do with the dark stuff? And then I started going, what's the most efficient way to like hang everything out so it can dry optimally? And then I was like, should I fold things up as I take them off the hanger and put them in the thing or do I just pull everything off and fold it in front of the TV or something? And I expended so much mental energy on this because that's the kind of person I am. I just try and hack things. I just went, oh, this is why I don't do things that don't make me money. Not because I'm better than my housekeeper or my time is worth more. It's just in my life, I'm like, I need to focus on income producing activities so I can continue employing all these people in my life. (laughs) My brain works like that. It will focus on whatever's in front of it and try and hack it. I have to be very vigilant on what my brain is trying to problem solve. Like a puppy, I have to train my brain like a puppy to be like, no, no, no. Work on your book instead. Work on your book. Hyperfocus can also be an ADHD thing going completely down a rabbit hole on one topic, no matter what it is. And so it's even just so you mentioned earlier, like deciding to use a new tea bag every time is a small form of upgrading your life to do a little bit nicer things for yourself as you can afford them. Yeah. And you start with the free stuff too. If it's like, I'll use my favorite mug or I will allow myself comfort and ease. And so I have a pair of socks in my office because it's those little things of ease and it's okay for me to not to suffer in tiny little ways. So always go with the free and low cost things and then the small but symbolic things and then you work your way up. But I think this is such an important conversation too because obviously fairly recently Rachel Hollis, a blogger and an author, she was talking about, oh, well, someone's comes to clean my toilet. And I think the conversation is so interesting because most of us should outsource more, but it's the energy behind something like that. And I always think I'm not too good to clean my own toilet. I would totally do it. And I'm, I scrub it before my cleaner comes. Like I'm scrubbing it every time. (laughs) You got to clean before the cleaning person comes. (laughs) No, but like, I've got a toilet brush there. Like I'm going to clean it after I go to the bathroom, but there's something there about I'm okay to let things go. And this is where mums, I think, get a bit stuck. They go, no one's going to do them if I don't do it. And it's like, okay, that's fine. But do your book first. Like if that's still on you, don't do all that stuff first that takes energy for no good reason. And then work on your business with the little skerrick of energy that you've got left. It's like work on the, the things that could be future assets for you and your family first. And then then scrub your toilet. It's just shifting that of like, what's more valuable for me and my family right now? And like, I've cleaned people's houses and when you're getting paid for it, it's a different energy to, it could take me a whole week to do a couple of tasks around my house because I'm so unmotivated to do it. But it's like, where is our value? And there's something there to some of those conversations where it's like, It's seen as really noble to do your own housework and stuff like that, but it seems very exploitative when we actually put a value on women's work and because quite often it is women. And so I totally get the criticism around Rachel Hollis and I think there's room in there to talk about if you're an entrepreneur and you can make money and then you can spread the wealth and hire other people, focus on that before you take your energy with all that. Yeah, and that was such a complicated conversation. It was a clumsy conversation. And I also think that people weren't upset that she had a housekeeper. They were upset with the way the energy she had around talking about that person as if she was better than them. And that is not the energy we want to go into this with. No, no. And there's something there too about like, you have to learn to be a good steward of money and a good boss too. And I... All throughout last year during the pandemic, I did worry about like, oh my gosh, I have to be the one to be okay because I've got people that I hire and I am their job. And there's something, there's energy there around becoming that new form of leadership that's not like a better than, less than situation. So it's really, it is clumsy and I think there was some real clumsy takes around it and I feel clumsy talking about it often too, so yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. And having a team is such a huge responsibility. And I think when you have poured into your people, for anyone who's listening that has a business that's considering outsourcing in 2021, and some of our audience knows this, I'm, this is a clumsy way to put this, but 
they're in our membership community, the Motivated Mama Society, they already know this, but 2021 has been a very difficult year in our house. We had a miscarriage that ended up being an ectopic pregnancy, so I'm actually still dealing with that. And I had to take a real step back for several weeks from the business, which is hard when you're an entrepreneur and it's your focus, but my team was able to step up in a way that I'm eternally grateful for. And I had those moments where I'm like, I'm supposed to be there. I'm supposed to be leading. I'm supposed to be being a good boss. And they were able to come back and be like, no, we've done this work. We know what we're doing. We're here. We've got you. And like having that real level playing field always as a team, when you're building a team has been a really, really helpful thing for us. And I'm very grateful for having the amazing women on our team that we've had the last several weeks. So But we talked about upgrading the free things and the little things. And it made me think about in Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, she says, there's no prize at the end for she who suffers most, that we all have to act like we are worthy by how much we're suffering. And so to kind of start to wrap up this episode, how do we energetically start to open ourselves up to wealth? What are the habits that we should consider building into our routine so that we're ready to receive money? Absolutely. So- I think it is important to really don't underestimate those little things because the analogy I always say is if you've got an old computer and it's running 50,000 old programs, it's going to go slow. Mm -hmm. When you delete them out or make things more efficient, it just you have bandwidth. (laughs) And so this is the thing about how can we create more bandwidth in our life for creativity and joy? And that's why we do those little things, not just like, oh, I'm such a diva so I can have this, but... It's to, to create more bandwidth for creativity. And so that's super important. And then there's so many things you can layer in on that. Okay. So it's your current life. And then when we talk about the law of attraction, it says you can't manifest from a place of lack. And so you can only manifest what you already have, which is like, how the freak do you do that? Right. It's such a balancing act because you have to get to a place where you feel content and happy and accepting and leave room for desire. And so if you can get to a few places where you stretch yourself about what's that next level for you. And a good example is that we always wanted to live in this neighborhood. We always wanted to live on this street. And so 10 years ago, when we moved to this town, we would walk up and down the street because the air is free, but so many of us stop ourselves because we don't think we deserve to breathe that air. And so I had to be like, oh, my God, um, people are going to think I don't belong here and whatever all that brought up for you. So if you can stretch yourself to that next level and practice it, practice going to the open house for the neighborhood that you want to live in. The realtors don't care. They know that eventually someone will buy it. It's just a numbers game for them. But we're the ones judging, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. So it's like, how do you stretch yourself a little bit? How do you breathe the air? How do you go and feel and touch, go test drive the couch that you want to buy? See how it feels to walk into that store and breathe that air because it's going to bring, it's going to be new (laughs) chances for some money memories, right? Yeah. And speaking of your house, you have such an amazing story about a language change as you set this goal and manifested this goal of living on the street you currently live on. Can you tell people about writing down and having the goal? Oh gosh, I can't remember that part of the book. You have to remind me. (laughs) (laughs) It happens when you write a book. So you would say for a long time, you wrote the goal that you wanted to buy a house on that street and then you switched it to wanting to live on that street. Yes. So what happened when you changed that language? When I said buy, I kept on going, but I don't have the deposit. I don't have this. I don't have that. And so shifting it to live, it opened up some interesting things for me. One, I rented in a, not the same neighborhood, but a similar neighborhood because I went, oh, I actually just want to experience what that feels like. So that was a real upgrade to renting in a beautiful house and living in that house shifted my business immensely because I just went, oh, I don't have to do that. And I find this is a really interesting thing around real estate. We could talk for days just about the stuff that brings up around real estate. But so many people, they go, oh, I want to buy, say, a million dollar house, which we know in most places doesn't get you that much these days. But you think of it as, oh, I need the million dollars instead of going, well, how much deposit would I need? Oh, maybe I'll go talk to a broker and see what paperwork they would need for that. Because it doesn't take a million dollars to buy a million dollar house. It takes usually a 20% deposit. We're psyching ourselves out of our goals all the time 
because it might be, oh, I want a million dollar business. Oh, but I'll have to pay taxes. And you go, just (laughs) park that problem for the future. But so many people, I'll say to them, great, go see a broker and how much? And they go, oh no, I can't see a broker until I I have all my paperwork. And you go, no, no, go see the broker and say, this is the kind of house that I want to buy. How much deposit? What sort of paperwork would I need? Because it builds the belief. They'll believe you that you want to build, buy a house like that. That's their business to do that. And then you'll go, oh my God, they believe me that I'm going to buy a house. It shifts it from one day to I am in the process. I am becoming, I, I am going to live in that neighborhood instead of waiting. It's like that lottery thing. I'm here. Here's the lottery win. It's so separate for me. Instead of going, well, I mean, I am literally buying a house in this neighborhood. I'm not saying when, but I, I am in the process. And all of those little things build belief. I found it so fascinating. Someone went to a broker recently and he just went, oh yeah, you need, because you're self-employed, you need two years worth of accounts. And it's like, oh, cool. Well, now you know. Now you can be building that. And it gives you incentive to not do bartering arrangements with people because you want that on your books. And it all starts to fall into place by magic, but yet you're in the process of making it real. Yes. And what does it mean to become reverse paranoid? Oh, I love this. So it's there's a book, I think it's called Paranoia or something, but it's like everything is happening for my highest good. And that belief that everything's going to be okay And I've been so frustrated. There's been a legal thing that I've been working on for a year. And I've been like, this means that the project's not meant to go ahead, blah, blah. And only last week, I realized that there's something in the contract that would completely screw up my whole life almost. And I went, that's why it's taken a year. Because the universe has been protecting me from that clause that I was going to, that I put in, that I didn't need to put in. Now I've got a new nuance for it. So it's things like that of going, everything's working out for my highest good. I mean, I'm like that anyway. So sometimes I need to slow down a little bit and be where people are at in their grief. And because usually I'm like, this is going to be amazing for your book. That's great. And they're like, but I'm in it. Can I just take a moment to grieve? So you can take it a bit too far sometimes. And that's where a lot of the spiritual bypassing stuff can come in, right? Of like, everything happens for a reason. So there's nuance around that too, where now I can see that legal thing as I'm like, oh, well, it's just, that's just been protecting me. I'm like, oh, it's not because I'm bad with contracts or whatever the story was that I was coming up with. Yeah. And I think that's the whole thing with spiritual bypassing. It doesn't mean that you can't be sad. It doesn't mean that you can't grieve or have things be hard. It's just what's your overall underlying thought that this is going to get better, even when you're sitting in that grief. I think it's a really hard thing to practice and learn because we all go through those periods of depression and sadness and we recover but it's just hard. So Denise, do you have any last pieces of advice for women out there manifesting their wealth? Yes. So there's something there about timing sometimes. I see people go, it's not the right time. Mercury's retrograde or it's a pandemic or I've got kids or I'm too young or I'm too old. And there's something there about believing in your ability to create your own timing because nothing's guaranteed. So I say to myself, I'll go, today is my lucky day or I create my lucky moments or something like that just to go, oh. So an affirmation I share a lot is it's my time and I'm ready for the next step. And there are layers to this, right? So you can go, it's my time. Because you know, sometimes you go, no, no, it's it's someone else's time or it's it's my kid's time. Or even when you see competitors, you go, oh no, maybe it's their time. So it's like, it's my time or it's my time. This is, it's now. Or it's my time and I'm ready. Or it's my time and I'm ready for the next step. Not the whole thing. I don't need to know how everything's going to evolve. It's my time and I'm ready for the next step. And then you can shift it to it's like it's our time. It is collectively. It's our time and I'm ready for the next step. Or, uh, you know, you can say it's your time. And so I realized because in my work, I was always saying to people, it's your time and you're ready for the next step. And then I was like, oh, I'm using that as an excuse to hold myself back to the the next level because I'm like, no, no, it's all about I'm holding space for other people. No, don't hold space for me. (laughs) And so it's like the L'Oreal thing. It's like I'm worth it. They've changed it. Sometimes it's I'm worth it. Sometimes we're worth it. Sometimes you're worth it. 
that's the thing. I just want people to write that down. It's my time and I'm ready for the next step. And things start to shift and change sometimes when you declare that you're ready and that it is your time. Mm, I absolutely love that affirmation. Denise, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. The sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? Yes. What do I have to do? If you had a whole weekend to do whatever you want, all on your own, no husband, no kids, how would you spend your weekend? Just reading in bed. What do you like to read? Everything, like nonfiction, horror, memoirs. I love celebrity memoirs. I think you can learn so much about money mindset from reading about celebrities. I used to read a lot more business books but and personal development books, but nowadays I just read a bit of everything. But just sitting in bed, no one bothering me except someone bringing me a cup of tea every hour, but then they go <laughs> away. Like my husband, he comes in in the morning, he goes, can I have a kiss? And I'm just like, no, <laughs> get out of my bubble. I'm just like, leave me alone. That's just heaven, heaven. This is so funny. So we try not to repeat a lot of questions in the sorting hat, but we repeated this question with Kendra Adachi, who recently wrote The Lazy Genius Way. I don't know if you're familiar with her book. <gasps> no, but she sounds amazing. She is amazing. And she gave almost exactly the same answer as you, which is almost she was like, I would want to stay home with my kids and my husband, go somewhere else, and I would order takeout and read books. Like, yeah. this is amazing. It sounds like the perfect weekend. Denise, where can people follow up with you, check out your courses and your books? So I'm so easy to find. DeniseDT.com is my website. DeniseDT is also all of my social handles. And I love hearing from people. I love ahas. I love hearing people's dirty money stories, like money confessions. I love it. So you can always DM me with your money confession. And yeah, I'm just easy to find. My books are on Amazon. They're in Kindle and Audible and paperback. Dive into one of my books and see if you like my style. Fantastic. Mamas, we will have links to all of that in the show notes. Denise, thank you so much for joining us. This was amazing. Chelsea, thank you. This was one of my favorite interviews. It was just really fun. So thanks a lot. Mamas, I first read Denise's book, Get Rich, Lucky Bee, a few years ago, and I've had so much fun getting to chat with her today and hear her personal experiences with embracing an abundant life. Denise's lifestyle might not be yours or might not be yours yet, but her advice on starting with the free or low-cost ways to give ourselves a richer and richer life is so powerful. I encourage you to consider at least one way you can make your average day feel richer, whether that's using a new tea bag with every cup of tea or splurging on a fun sticker for the cover of the planner you use every day. You deserve it. As always, I've rounded up my top three takeaways from this conversation with Denise for you to take into your own money life. Let's dive in. First, money mindset work is never done. We can't just dump all of our money memories and process them all in one two-hour period, as Denise called out. It's an ongoing process, and things will come up or be sparked by moments or conversations when you least expect it. Take note of what comes to the surface, especially as you grow as a person. Follow the thread, follow the heat, as Denise said, and see where it leads. Remember, that this is a growth process. This is about getting a little better, a little truer to yourself every time. None of us has this all figured out. Second, asking for what you need doesn't make you a diva. This was so powerful. Like I said, that part highlighted in the book about really just making sure you've set good boundaries so that you can show up as your best self all the time. Does that mean you need 20 minutes in the morning for a morning routine? Does it mean that you need to get your exercise in or that you need to show up at work in a certain way? Not everyone in your life needs to understand why some routine or rhythm makes things go more smoothly to you, but you shouldn't be in a position where you're explaining the same thing over and over or where you feel like you're constantly frazzled, where you know what would make your day better, but you're just stuck not getting the help that you need. Vocalize what you need. Vocalize what can make your systems better, and that will make you not only a happier, richer person, but will make you better for everyone around you. And finally, third, practice being reverse paranoid. I absolutely love this phrase, reverse paranoid, but it's a matter of remembering that the universe is conspiring to help you. And this is such a mind shift for so many people who might be in a little bit more of a pessimistic place. 
understanding that there are reasons for things and look for the ways that things ended up positively for you, that empty parking space right out front, that bill reminder that you saw just in time to make it before a late payment. Look for those ways, celebrate and be grateful for those ways and try to always look for the opportunities because they are there. The universe is conspiring to help you. You are worthy of the success and the life that you want. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Denise again for coming on the show, sharing her story, and helping us all manifest more abundance in our lives. You can find links to Denise's website, books, and more, as well as download your free Discover Your Passion Project workbook in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 107. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with me. If you had fun or learned something new, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell a friend. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.